back by popular demand, the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend, the buffest guy I've ever known, one of the smartest dudes I know in the industry, Christian Thibodeau, Thib Army, Thibs, the man. He is back on the show. I'm super pumped to have him. Super pumped for you guys to listen to this because if you heard part one, which if you didn't, go check out part one, you know that Christian is going to dominate the podcast with fitness and nutrition knowledge. Christian is one of those guys that I love talking to because it's literally like reading a new book. It's like literally extracting all this knowledge and then putting it into my brain. It is study hour, and I'm super pumped to have him on the show because I get to ask questions that I've been dying to know and get his opinion on, and then I get to sit back and just learn. And you guys are going to get that today as well. Like I mentioned, if you haven't listened to part one, I highly suggest you go listen to that. You don't have to do it first because we talk about a wide variety of topics today, but listening to that first podcast is going to put a lot of things that he talks about in general into context because he does refer to the neurotyping system and the different neurological profiles a lot in this show. And in the first uh, episode that I had him on, the, the podcast part one, we talked a lot about those neurotypes. He broke them down individually, um, but we stayed in the uh, adherence, consistency, strength, coaching realm. Today, we talked specifically on those neurotypes regarding training, uh, a little bit of training, but mainly nutrition, cardio, and supplements. We also dove into intermittent fasting, fasted cardio, things that he's changed his stance on over the years of being in the industry, and so much more. Guys, you're going to learn so, so, so much for this podcast. Grab a notepad. Be ready to take notes. Before I get into the show, I do want to make a quick announcement. Today is the day. Today is the day that Density launches. Density is my latest training program literally launching today. You can grab it by the link in the show notes, and it is discounted for the next five to seven days. I haven't decided how long I'm going to keep this open, so you're going to jump on it because at the most seven days, but probably about five days, it'll be on sale. It'll be discounted. It'll be an exclusive rate in the first 50 people who purchase the program density will be opted into an exclusive opportunity that you will learn more about once you purchase the program. And I will be getting in touch with you to talk about, and I'm super pumped about that as well, to be honest with you. But the program is a power building method. This is something actually, I I don't know if we talked about it in the show, but Christian and I have talked about power building multiple times. So a lot of the philosophies that he uses in his own training are actually power building as well, as well as myself and as well as hundreds of people that I've coached over the years, this is the method. This is the Boom Boom Performance Power Building Method. Density is the program. There is four phases. Uh, There is actually, sorry, three phases, four blocks, 10 weeks. You are going to be dialed in for hypertrophy strength. And if your goal is fat loss, this is the perfect program for you as well. It is four days a week. I put a ton of effort into this program. And the coolest thing about this is this gives you access to the private Facebook forum where you can pick my brain and ask me any question that helps you get your results. Whether it is about the program, nutrition with the program, your training split, supplements, recovery, it doesn't matter. You have access to me inside that group and you have access to literally hundreds of people. There's more than 500 people running this or functional muscle. So similar training programs that have worked in my style of training and can help you as well. It's an awesome community of people. So I'm not going to go on and on about this, but guys, today is the day that I am launching Density, and I am super, super pumped to be releasing it. It's something I've worked for a long time on, something I've tested on myself and on lots of clients that have proven results with men, women, different age groups, fat loss, hypertrophy, strength, doesn't matter the goal. I have tested it on them. So once again, guys, you can grab Density at the link in the description. Click it. You'll go to a page. That's where you can get the program. It'll get sent directly to your inbox. You can open it up on your phone, your computer, wherever you need it and have full access to that and the Facebook group. So without any further ado, let's get on to the show with Christian Thibodeau. 
you know what? Like I'm already recording. Cause that was the first thing I was going to ask you, man, is what's cause <laughs> I saw your Facebook post about it. And then yeah. as soon as I liked it, Paul Carter messaged me and he was like, dude, you should jump on this 60 hour fast. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so what's this all about? Uh, well, it's been, it's been something that I've been looking forward to trying for a while. Uh, well, even before Paul post, posted about his, his own experiment, uh, it's something I've been considering. I've been reading like that John Meadows was doing like a one day of fasting every now and then. And several bodybuilders now are doing that more and more. And of course, I, mean, I know many people in the bodybuilding community, so I know it's, it's catching on. I think that uh, the several health benefits uh, might be of particular interest to bodybuilders because it, it lowers blood pressure level, it improves insulin sensitivity. And of course, when we're talking about bodybuilders utilizing things like growth hormone and insulin, which will actually decrease insulin sensitivity, it might be very beneficial for them. It also decreases cholesterol levels. Uh, it improves all the marker of heart uh, conditions. It makes the heart healthier. So I think that there's a lot to be said about fasting from a, a, a health perspective. And I was really interested in um, the more body composition impact of, of doing that and also how you feel while you're doing it. I mean, I've been doing intermittent fasting for a while. Uh, on and on, on and off. It's not necessarily the, the main diet I use, but for example, when I give seminars, uh, I always use intermittent fasting, mostly because of my neurotype. I'm adrenaline dominant, so very sensitive to the impact of adrenaline, and it really potentiates me. So when I present, I want adrenaline to be as high as possible because it makes me think a lot quicker, and, and I, I'm a better presenter when adrenaline is high. So I don't eat during the seminar because I found that instinctively that when I eat, when I give a seminar, I'm, I'm much less in tone with the crowd. I have much less energy and stuff like that. So I always use intermittent fasting when I give seminars um, and always felt great doing it. So it was kind of a step more during that 60 hours fasting period. So, um, of course, I'm only a few hours into it right now. So I, it's kind of hard for me to say that uh, if it's effective or not. But so far, my mental energy is really good. But again, it's only been like I started at 8 a.m. last night. So I, I would say it's been something like, let's say, 18 hours so far. So it's not long because I'm used to 16 hours of fasting. So it, it does not really affect me negatively at this moment. But it, it, I, I do feel quite energized, quite energetic, in a very good mood. And of course, uh, I, even though I, I swore to myself I would never use ketone supplements because <laughs> Paul has been like telling me, well, you should try those ketones, bro. They're awesome. Yeah, yeah, whatever. So I, it's, I, I don't like the whole marketing strategy they're using on that stuff. So I never, I swore myself I would never try them. And I, I'm not sure if it's, it is the ketones or if it's just the actual fasting that makes me more sensitive to my own adrenaline. But mentally, I feel really energized. I, mean, I trained this morning and normally I, I tend to crash a few hours after, but now I'm still like, fully charged up and I'm feeling great. So, so maybe there's something to it, but again, I cannot comment uh, until I've done the whole experiment. 
Yeah, I'm excited to to hear because a lot of the literature and everything that's coming out shows a lot of benefits around that 24 to 48 hour mark yeah. versus the 16 or short 12 hour fast, which can be great for digestion, but not as much. What what is uh, your thoughts on like meatless Mondays or this protein like protein fasting or just fasting in general to stimulate? In, uh, your sensitivity to muscle protein synthesis because that's something Ben Pakulski has actually been implementing and taking protein out for a day. Do you buy into that? Is there any studies? It, dude, it, it's it's something I've been doing for years. I mean, uh, I, I wrote an article about that. I, I'm not sure if it's an article back, back like a few years back. Let's say five or six years ago on T Nation, we had a thing called Life Spills. Live spills were kind of a, like a Twitter kind of format where I could actually post live messages and, and, and readers could, could simply log on to the, the live spill and see what I was thinking about, what I was, and just chat with me, sort of a, like a live chat thing. And, and I'm not sure if it was on the live spill or an actual article I wrote about the benefits of low protein days. I mean, uh, I, I don't know if it's if Ben just read my stuff because we've been corresponding for a while, or maybe he just read the same science as I did. But but I believe that one of the biggest problem with bodybuilders is their constant use of very high protein intake. Not even from an health perspective, because it is debatable whether constantly consuming high amount of protein can be harmful for your kidneys or stuff like that. But and then the science is, is, is equivocal. Uh, but, but what I know for sure is that when you consume a very high level of protein day in and day out, your body will become desensitized to its impact. So basically, you, you will start breaking down those protein and to create glucose, taking the nitrogen out. So you are actually reducing the impact of protein synthesis. And also the, uh, the fact that I believe the body responds to a sudden increase in blood amino acid levels as a trigger to initiate protein synthesis. But when protein is constantly elevated, well, you, you don't have that trigger because a spike means that you have a low and you have a high. If it's constantly elevated, you don't get that spike. So you don't trigger protein synthesis as well. Of course, the argument could be that, well, if a bodybuilder is using drugs, then that doesn't matter because the drugs are elevating protein synthesis artificially. So it, it's probably more beneficial for natural bodybuilders than, than pro bodybuilders using steroids. But even then, I, I think that it, it does keep the body more responsive because you will convert less to glucose and you become more efficient. And then there's a problem, right? If... You constantly have a high protein intake and you eventually become desensitized to it and you start breaking down those amino acids and converting them into glucose much easier. What happens if for some reason then you, you decrease your protein intake for a few days? Well, your body is still in a mode to break down those amino acids and form glucose, but now you don't have enough protein. So what happens is that you probably are breaking down muscle tissue or at least not getting the, giving the body enough amino acids to, to rebuild the muscle you, bro you broke down with training. So I believe in one, 
once a week, having a low protein day is a great way to prevent that desensitization from happening. And even on a weekly basis, I always like to have my protein intake wave up and down, up and down during the week. I do this instinctively, really, but it's something I've done for years. I've done the low protein days for years, and I really believe that it is, it is very effective, especially for the natural bodybuilder. I love stuff like this because I think it's kind of old school, quote unquote, bro science that ends up being quantified by real science later on down the road. And I think a lot of, a lot of topics are that way. And, and speaking of which, something that you have um, gone back and forth over the years that I've read going both ways coming out of your articles is fasted cardio. So I'd love to get your take on that because I know as of late, you're actually a big proponent in there was a time where you were saying, don't do any yeah. fasted cardio. So what's the reasoning behind this? Well, I, I'm going to get back to that answer in two seconds. Uh, just because I, I, I just, that, that, that low protein day, I just want to like give one more information on that topic because I think that those who want to implement uh, like one low protein day into their weekly diet, uh, or their weekly schedule, there's one tip I can give them is what I like to do is, of course, you, you have the low protein day on a non-training day, ideal. So you don't, you don't break down too much muscle tissue that you won't be able to rebuild. Because after a workout, your protein synthesis is elevated by for, for about 24 hours. Now, if you don't take in protein while a protein synthesis is elevated, then you're kind of wasting that training session especially for muscle growth. But what I like to do is on the day after the low protein day, that's where you should have the bigger training session of the week, ideally for a weak point or, or something you really want to push up and you increase the volume significantly. But then on that day, your protein intake would almost be twice as high as normal. So, so for example, if you normally consume 200 grams of protein, on the low protein day, you might go to 50 grams. And on a high protein day, you might go up to 350. Because now your body kind of is kind of like resensitized. So you might get, I believe, again, again and you, you use the right term, I think it's pro-science, but it does not mean it's not correct. I believe you can have a great, great anabolic response after that low protein day when you have a higher volume of training and also a higher protein intake to take benefit of what's going on physiologically speaking. Now, as far as fasted cardio is concerned, you are correct. I changed my mind quite a few times uh, in the past. And I think it goes with my profile, right? The type 2As, they, they need variation. They need to change things around. I believe and I think that that is something we see on so many different subjects in our field. When you don't like something personally, you naturally have a negative mindset toward it. And you, you, you look at the science or the information or the logic that, that proves that you're right. So you don't like something, then you only look at the things that prove that it does suck. And then you disregard all the information showing the benefits uh, saying that all oh, it's bad science or they, they don't know what they're talking about or you can you just disregard it completely you don't even read it and that i think that for example those who hate cardio will say that cardio sucks because it will increase cortisol level and it does in some people here's the thing is my belief because and explains why i i went back and forth i think that the science will show that that cardio on a fa in a fasted state 
in many people will increase cortisol level. And it makes sense, right? Or I'm not just fasted cardio, but cardio in general can increase cortisol because you are mobilizing all that energy. The more energy you need to mobilize, the more cortisol you're going to release. But it will release cortisol more in some people than others. In fact, in some people, cardio, I'm not talking about fasted cardio. I'm just talking about cardio in general. We'll get back to the fasted cardio in a a moment. Mm -hmm. But just cardio in general. In some people, it might actually lower cortisol level, not necessarily during the activity, but over that 24-hour period that we call a day. Now, I'm going to use that neurotyping stuff I've been talking about to explain what's, what's going on. As you know, the nervous system, we can either excite it or we can inhibit it. So we can speed up your neurons or you can slow them down. When you speed them up, then you get excited, you get amped up, uh, your performance increase, your motivation increase, your competitiveness increase, I'm hyped up. But if I increase it too much, what happens is that I can become anxious. My stress level increase. When your neurons are firing super, super fast, too fast for you to control them, what happens is that you're feeling like you're losing control. You get in that extreme sympathetic mode, and that comes with an excessive cortisol release. The more amped up your nervous system is, the more cortisol is released because you are in that fight or flight mode. Now, if you are someone who has naturally low neural activation, if you are someone who's very cool, very calm, Nothing stresses you out. And you start doing cardio, well, what happened is that, that it, it, you don't get any benefit from a neurological standpoint. It doesn't bring you up. So you hate every minute of it. Those who hate cardio are those who need to get amped up to enjoy an activity. Like a type 1 or a type 2, type 1 needs to increase dopamine release. Type, which is an, a, a, an activating neurotransmitter or exciting neurotransmitter, excitatory, and the type 2B or 2A like me, they need to amp up to increase their adrenaline release to feel good. If they don't get that in an activity, then it's just, it's just boring as hell to them. Now, the, on the other side of the spectrum, you have those who have a higher level of, of anxiety, a higher level of baseline neural activation. Even at rest, their neurons are firing super fast. They are those who tend to overthink, always think too much, always go with a schedule. They have, have a hard time sleeping. They, they have a higher level of neural activation. With these people... The cardio is actually pretty fun. You have that's why the, the, the type threes and some type two Bs, but the type threes mostly are actually attracted to cardio. It is actually fun for them because they are already hyped up. Their nervous system is already high. They don't need to activate it to feel good. And because their brain is going in overdrive all the time because of that neural activation, they are chronic overthinker, paralysis by analysis. Now, these people can actually do cardio and almost create a movie in their mind. They can think about this, think about that, because their brain is so, so sped up that their thought process, their cognitive process is also sped up. So it's not boring for them. They can just live in their head. If you do, if a type one does cardio, the only thing you can think about is this sucks, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. Oh yeah, this sucks. 
because they don't get that excitatory feeling. Cardiovascular activity, unless it's at a very, very high intensity, is inhibitory to the neurotransmitter more than it is excitatory. So a type 3, it might actually have a calming down effect on their nervous system. And that's where the cortisol thing comes into play. Now, if I'm a type 3, I'm naturally anxious. My nervous system is always firing on all cylinders 24-7. That's why I have a hard time sleeping. I'm in my bed. I'm always thinking about those stories, making stuff in my mind. I'm paranoid, anything like that. Now, if I'm doing cardio, it actually decreases neural activation. It might actually help them stay more relaxed throughout the rest of the day, which will decrease cortisol levels. So yes, they are releasing cortisol during the cardiovascular activity because you're burning fuel. But for the rest of the daily period, it actually decreases cortisol production because it relaxes them. Now, if you are a type 1, a type 1 does not need relaxing because he, he is not in that high activation zone. He, does, he is not stressed out. He does not worry about stuff. So he will not get the beneficial impact on cortisol level throughout the day. In fact, just because the cardio pisses him off will actually probably increase cortisol levels. So, so the type 1, the very competitive person, very confident, wants to be the leader, extroverted. Now, these guys, cardio will always suck for them, and they don't get the benefit on the cortisol-lowering impact for the rest of the day. They only get the increase in cortisol from the activity itself. Now, most of the people who talk against cardio, especially fasted cardio, normally they are type 1A individuals. Now, my, my, my friend Charles Polikin, for example, uh, Charles is a very good guy, very smart man. Of course, he changed the world of strength training for pretty much ever, and we probably wouldn't have a job if it were not for him, or at least not as good of a job. But he is dead set against cardio, especially against morning cardio. But w what we need to understand is that he himself is a type 1A, so he will always have a bad reaction to cardio and will hate every second of it. On top of that, all of the people he worked with were high-level athletes, mostly in strength and power sports. So mostly type 1A, 1Bs, and maybe some 2As. Now, these people will not do well on cardio either. So, so of course, for the clientele you work with, cardio never worked well. And for him, it never worked well either. But you will have some people who are traditional, more traditional bodybuilders, who are 2Bs or 3s, who, who respond really well to cardio because for them, it has a significant improvement in body composition because it can actually decrease cortisol production over the 24-hour period. So, so taking that in mind, some people, of course will not get the same beneficial impact from cardio as some people do. Now, as far as fasted cardio, well, fasted cardio really magnifies all the positives and negatives of cardio. So if you are someone who gets more negative than positive from the cardio, the type 1A, 1B, and 2As maybe, then the fasted cardio will be worse than cardio, which is already bad for you. But if you are a type 2B, type 3, and some 2As when they are dieting down, then the fasted cardio might actually have a lot more pros than cons. 
from a body composition standpoint. So, so you really need to understand that depending on the person you're reading, they will naturally look at the science that proves their point of view. And their point of view is really dependent on uh, their own personal feeling toward an activity. So you need to be objective. Yes, cardio can be detrimental, especially fasted cardio for some people when it comes to building muscle or maintaining muscle mass. But for many people, it is actually beneficial. It can reprogram your body. Fasted cardio can. It can reprogram your body to utilize fat for fuel by upregulating the enzymes responsible for fat mobilization and use for fuel. So, so if you are someone who, who sucks at mobilizing fat for energy, like you are an obese person, then fasted cardio can actually do a lot of good by reprogramming your body to become efficient at utilizing fat for fuel. Now, if you are on top of that on a lower-carb diet, it can really help you speed up that fat adaptation where you're going to use fat as your primary fuel source. So it is a tool that has its benefit. From a longevity standpoint, it will increase AMPK even more than regular cardio. So it, for, for lifespan kind of thing, it, it will have beneficial impact. So it, it really is about understanding the person you're working with and seeing if that tool will have more positives than negative. Because if we look at every type of training, even bodybuilding training, even performance training, even strength training, they all have pros and cons. I mean, bodybuilding will create a lot of inflammation because it emphasizes the eccentric, which will cause more muscle damage, for example. And that inflammation can eventually decrease insulin sensitivity. So, so, so no training method is perfectly, like, uh, perfect, really. So, so no training method is devoid of downside and no method is devoid of upside. It's just only a matter of saying, well, that tool, can it improve me personally? And it depends on your personality type, your brain chemistry, as well as your response to stress. I love it. We're, we're definitely going to get into the neurotypes. But before we do, something just kind of popped in my head because you mentioned, obviously, a lot of cortisol talk. You mentioned John Meadows earlier, and then you just mentioned um, Charles Poliquin. And something I've been wondering is, Charles talks about, you know, cortisol being high during training is a good thing because it allows us to perform harder. So he doesn't like intra-workout carbohydrate shakes because it can lower cortisol. John Meadows, on the other hand, is all about intra-workout cyclic dextrin because of the cortisol effects. And he has some studies to prove its muscle building components. I personally feel great when I drink intra-workout carbs, but then I read some of Charles stuff and it had me kind of questioning, like I haven't heard or you talk about or read anything that you've written on this in a while. Um, what is your thoughts on intra-workout shakes regarding cortisol? It, it, depends, it depends on the person. I mean, we, we, we must understand why carbohydrates will decrease cortisol release during training, because it does, okay? Uh, it, first, it has two impacts that will lead to a lower cortisol level. The first impact is more related to the release of cortisol directly. Cortisol's main function is to mobilize stored nutrients, specifically and more. Well, it does stimulate the, the, the mobilization of, of carbohydrates, glycogen, fatty acids, as well as amino acids. That's why it's catabolic. But it has an even greater impact on glucose, on, on glycogen. 
because two, the, the two main functions of cortisol is mobilizing energy for fuel, but also maintaining a stable blood sugar level. So in that regard, when your blood sugar level gets low, that's three hormones that can increase it, cortisol, glucagon, and growth hormone. And cortisol, in some people, the more stressed out you are, the more anxious you are, the more you're going to rely on cortisol rather than growth hormone. Now, so in that regard, the fact that you have, have carbohydrates floating in your bloodstream while you're training, it decreases the need to release cortisol. That's why all the studies about carbohydrates before and during the workout show a lower cortisol release. It's because if you have glucose in your bloodstream, you don't need to elevate blood sugar level. And you also have less of a need for energy mobilization because you have already energy readily available to use for fuel. That's the first reason. The second reason is neurological. Carbohydrates, especially those of uh, uh, more concentrated or, or fast-acting properties, uh, they will have a calming effect on the nervous system. They decrease sympathetic activation. It puts you more toward that parasympathetic zone. And that's where Charles' opinion uh, against pre-workout carbohydrates come from. Because if his, his logic is that since carbohydrates will decrease sympathetic activation, it will make it a lot harder to be motivated, to have drive to perform, to be competitive. And he is right with an asterisk. But I'm going to get back to that later. But for that, understand that cortisol increases well, cortisol and sympathetic activation go hand in hand. The more your nervous system, nervous system is activated, excited, the more cortisol you have. They both go together. So if you, the logic is that if you lower cortisol, then your, your nervous system is also at the same time more inhibited than excited. Now, uh, remember what I said earlier about like some people, they need to get amped up before a workout. Some people don't. Uh, and, and some people have also a higher level of serotonin, the neurotransmitter that calms you down, serotonin and GABA. So if an individual, if an individual needs to be amped up before he trains, the type 1 and the type 2, and if he has a high level of those neurotransmitters that calm the brain down, so he is naturally going to have a harder time getting into that optimal performance zone, getting that nervous system firing on all cylinders, right? So, so that person, if you give them carbohydrates pre-workout, then it inhibits the nervous system further, which makes it a lot harder to get amped up. But if a person doesn't have any issues with neural activation, if their brain is already pretty much amped up when they get to the gym, they get easily excited, they have a nervous system that is firing on all cylinders already. Now, these people getting carbs before the workout will actually bring them in the perfect zone. So it really depends on if you need to get amped up or if you need to be calmed down or if you just need to maintain. The harder it is for you to get amped up before the workout, the, and, and these people will be the guys who are great under pressure. 
they, they, they don't have any uh, drastic response to stressful situations. They have ice in their veins. These guys will have uh, more of a lazy demeanor. They get into the gym and they chat, they joke around. It takes them forever to really get started. But once they get amped up, they are machines. Now, these guys, you give them carbs pre-workout. You're going to have a really hard time getting into the zone. They will feel lazy. They feel unmotivated because those carbohydrates will decrease neural activation and makes it a lot harder to get in, up into that optimum training zone. But if you are someone who has no problem getting neurologically activated, then having those carbs will not have a negative impact on how you perform in your gym. But you're going to have the benefits of lowering the cortisol because of, of the carbohydrates in your bloodstream. Now, and on top of that, if you are someone who's at the other extreme, you're extremely anxious by nature. Now, these carbs pre-workout will actually bring your nervous system back down to the optimum zone. The optimum performance zone is not maximum neurological activation. Maximum neurological activation leads to anxiety, le leads to overthinking, leads to muscle tightness, which decreases performance. But a nervous system that is not excited enough, you're lazy, you're unmotivated, you're not competitive. You want to be in the middle. So if you're someone who's overly anxious, paralysis by analysis, routine-based, always need to do the same thing over and over again, more introverted, you need to calm down the nervous system before you lift. Bring yourself back down to the optimal zone. Carbs will help you get there before the workout. If you are on the other end of the spectrum, I'm extroverted, I'm confident, I'm competitive, I'm someone who's very calm under pressure, nothing affects me, very stable physiology. If I take carbs before my session, I will actually have a hard time getting into that perfect zone. Then you have guys who are in the middle, probably like you and I. Guys who are in the middle, they, they, don't, they, they are not overly anxious, but they are not like in that lower activation zone either. So they, when they have carbs before, it might be a bit harder to get into that zone, but they don't notice it because as soon as they get lifting and adrenaline flowing, then they get, they get amped up. That's not a problem anymore. So, so if you look at the types, someone who's very competitive, natural athlete, strong, powerful, confident, uh, extroverted, these people probably will benefit more from having their carbs after the workout, not before. Or they can have it starting at the midpoint of the workout. So a, a, a guy like that, midpoint of the workout, they will have the benefit on lowering the cortisol because they, they, they are jacking up their, their glucose level, so they will, it will decrease cortisol release during the training. But by that time, by the midpoint of the workout, their nervous system is already running on all cylinders. So even if it decreases their capacity to get amped up, it doesn't matter because they are already amped up. If anything, it will actually help them do more volume because it will decrease dopamine depletion by overproducing adrenaline. So a type 1A, as we explained, or type 1B that we saw in the last uh, podcast, well, these guys should take their carbohydrates, half of the dose at the midpoint of the workout and half of the dose at the end of the workout. If you look at 
the other end of the spectrum, the extremely anxious, introverted, routine-based individual, they hate to take risk. They always need to calculate every single element. These guys need the bulk of their dose of carbohydrates right before the session because they need the high dose of carbs to bring themselves back down to the optimal training zone. Then you have guys like you and I who are in the middle. They are not those super extroverted, uh, confident, ex explosive athletes. They are in the middle, the type 2As or the type 2Bs. Either the bodybuilder type like Meadows, who is a, a 2B, or the hybrid like I am, who can do both performance and also body composition. Now, these guys will do better taking half of the carbohydrates prior to the workout and half of the carbohydrates at the midpoint of the workout or throughout the workout. That is because they will, it will not hinder their capacity to get amped up and it will decrease cortisol level. Now, with a type 1A or 1B, it also does decrease cortisol level. But if it prevents them from getting in that optimum training zone, performance sucks, then what's, what's good low in cortisol if you can't perform in a gym, right? So it's really a matter of what kind of person you are. And again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Charles is himself a 1A, extremely competitive, very impatient, rash, needs to be number one, needs to be the leader. These guys, type 1A, if they, if they take carbs before the workout, it hurts their performance. So of course, his own personal experience with carbohydrates pre-workout would be a negative one. And the athletes he worked with are probably of the same type, and they won't respond well to pre-workout carbs either. But a guy like Meadows, who's a 2B, then he actually has a fairly high level of anxiety, and he also needs to feel that, like my, that, that mind-muscle connection, a big pump, which those carbohydrates will help you get during the workout. And also, he needs to lower cortisol because the more on the right of the spectrum, type 2B, type 3, the more cortisol you produce. So anything that can lower cortisol, you need it. So for a guy who's a 2B, he will definitely get much better results with intra- and pre-workout carbohydrates. So it really depends on the type of brain chemistry that you have as far as which kind of pre-workout approach would be the most effective. And I think like for most people listening, if you're confused, I'm going to link some of your videos explaining the neurotypes, but you can kind of just play with these things and test them out. But when you say that, it, it makes a lot of sense to me because I have some CrossFit athletes that don't really like to eat much before they train. And I always have them doing post-workout carbohydrate and protein yeah. shake, and that works really well. For me personally, I've naturally started mine about midway, like you said. And then I have a lot of very, very routine bodybuilder style clients. And for them... Throughout the whole thing, carbs all day, those things do work really well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the CrossFit person you mentioned, they're probably the, the type 1B. The 1B are the best naturally gifted athlete. The 1B, to, for, for, to help the, the, the listeners understand, the type 1B are, when you, th when you think about a star player, that is normally a type 1B. Very, very gifted because type 2Bs, very easy motor learning. They, eat, they learn new skill and they are very easily and they are very coordinated. They also are more naturally explosive. Both of these things come from the higher level of acetylcholine. And they, they are competitive and they are confident because they are dopamine dominant. So, so these are the guys who will naturally be the best, normally, CrossFit competitors because they, of their competitivity and also because they easily learn new motor skills. So it, once they learn to do a muscle-up, 
They don't need to practice it weekly to stay good. If you look at Matt Frazier, Matt Frazier doesn't snatch or clean and drink in training unless it's in what? Because he doesn't need to. Because once he has mastered those skills, he don't need to keep practicing them. A type 1B is like that. I was training a girl who was a a CrossFit athlete. Her best snatch at the time was like 190. And uh, the coach, I was only doing the Olympic lifts with her and the strength work, but her CrossFit coach, quote unquote, had her stop doing Olympic lifting for three months. Because, well, she's already, she was already strong enough, so he wanted to focus on something different. And when she got back to it, like two sessions into her like, reintroduction to the lift, she snatched 200. Uh, if I don't snatch for three months, even though I was an Olympic weightlifter, I will, I will have a hard time snatching 60% of my max. I need to practice a skill all the time to make it fresh, to keep it fresh or functional. So a uh, uh, CrossFit athlete was like that, 1B, carbohydrates, midpoint at the end of the workout works just fine. Uh, so it really depends on the person you're working with. So going off of that, let's get into nutrition for the neurotypes. Cause after the last podcast, that was one of the biggest questions I kept getting from Instagram and Facebook on and the messenger. What is, I mean, besides what you already covered, cause I think you covered a lot based on cortisol and, and how our body responds to carbohydrates around the workout. What else do you factor in when we go through all the neurotypes as far as nutrition goes? Well, really, it's, it's about understanding the problem areas of each neurotype. I don't believe that, okay, in giving your type 1A, you need 40% protein, 30% fat, 30% carbohydrates. I, I don't function like that. It's more about understanding uh, the limitation or the problem areas of each neurotype. So when you're working with a type 1A, for example, or 1B, because both are fairly similar. Now, these types... They, they can basically do any diet. Anything will work with these guys as long as they stay motivated uh, because they, they are a cortisol underproducer, so they don't really need the carbs for, uh, to maintain an optimal hormonal level. So they can go low carbs. They can go higher carbs. They, they can actually do pretty much everything. Uh, they are the kind of guys who, if it fits your macros, kind of work. Uh, the, the big problem area, though, is that the type 1A and 1Bs, they, they, they will tend to need to enjoy what they're eating. So if they, they, they can't stick to a bland diet for a while. So if you're working with a type 1A or type 1B and you give them like just, just dried chicken and green veggies, they, they, they will break. They will break. And it won't be, it won't be pretty. Because they, they need that enjoyment factor. So they need to come up with recipes. Otherwise, if they don't enjoy the diet food they're eating, they will go off script. Okay? Um, so that is the biggest down, down, down problem. Uh, also to understand is that the type 1A and 1Bs, they are impatient. So if you are dealing with a 1A or 1B that wants to lose fat, Utilizing the slow, gradual fat loss approach will not work well. Because after four weeks, if they have not seen some pretty drastic results, they lose motivation. So, so they need really fast results. The good thing is that since they are cortisol underproducers and they tend to produce to release more growth hormone in release to low blood sugar level rather than cortisol then they can handle a pretty large caloric deficit 
without any drop in performance or drop in muscle mass, which is not the case for the type 2s and the type 3s, for example, especially 2Bs. Now, a type 1A, 1B, when you have them on a diet, it needs to be a pretty drastic caloric cut, but for a very short period of time, like three or four weeks dieting and two weeks maintenance, for example. So that is normally the best way to do it. And also, they need to die down for shorter periods because the, when leptin drops down, because you know what leptin is, right? Leptin is a hormone secreted by, by your, your fat cells. And when it connects to the brain receptor, receptors in the brain, then it tells your body that it is being well fed and you can maintain a high metabolic rate and you don't get increase in, in, uh, in uh, hunger signals. But as soon as less leptin is released, less leptin makes it to the brain, then your metabolic rate starts to slow down and you get more cravings. And the thing is that dopamine receptors are sensitized by the drop in leptin. So the type 1A and 1B are dopamine dominant. They are super sensitive to dopamine. But when leptin drops down, they become even more sensitive to it. So when that, when that happens, they need pleasure even more. They need pleasure even more because they get super addicted to that taste, feeling, pleasure, feeling. Dopamine is the, the pleasure neurotransmitter. So when you have a type 1A or 1B on a diet and leptin drop, drops down, the mere thought of a cheat food, the mere thought of a cheesecake actually creates a pleasure response almost as strong as eating it. So it creates that need, that dependency, that craving even more. So that's why the type 1A and 1Bs, they can't diet for long. First, they get bored. Second, their leptin level, once it's dropped, they're in trouble. So that's why I prefer drastic but very short dieting periods with the type 1A and 1Bs. Now, the type 3, the type 3 will often have the opposite effect. If they're on a fat loss diet, they will tend to be way too restrictive. These are the kind of clients who will eat like 75% of what you put on a sheet of paper. It's almost like they want to suffer. I was having a consult with a top coach yesterday and we we're talking about neurotype and dieting, and he mentioned that, and he was laughing because I, when I mentioned that type threes, they, they are chronic under eater. And because it, it, it's a matter of control, I'm gonna explain it in a few moments, but and it, was, it was laughing because I had a client, she was a type three, uh, and she once came to me and she was having great results. Her body fat was dropping, muscle mass was, was maintaining, and she was having high energy and all that stuff. And, she, she, she told me that she felt unhappy with her diet. And then the coach asked her, well, are you progressing? Yeah, I'm losing fat. I'm getting leaner and ever. Well, why are, why, or do you have any problems? And she said, no, it, that, and that is the problem. It's not, I don't think it's hard enough. Like she felt that she needed to feel restricted. And it's a control issue. Type 3 need to feel in control of their body. And because of that, food restriction, food restriction is not an eating disorder. It's, it's a control mechanism. You want to show your body you're in control. You are hungry. I don't care. I'm not eating. I'm in control, not my body. 
Okay, so anorexia, yes, it's a eating disorder, but it's really a matter of control more than an actual eating problem. So, so the type threes tend to do way too much. Like they will be cr chronic over exercisers as far as cardio is concerned, for example. They, they want to do that two hours of cardio to get lean, for example. But they are also chronic under eater. So that will be their problem, getting the calories in, especially considering that the type threes, they need more carbohydrates feeding throughout the day. Type threes, they have a higher cortisol level. And carbohydrates are one of the best ways to decrease cortisol because the main function of cortisol is maintaining a stable blood sugar level. When it drops down, cortisol is released along with glucagon and growth hormone. So a type 3, who's a, a cortisol overproducer, he needs to have carbohydrates very frequently in their diet to maintain that stable blood sugar level. The problem is that when your cortisol has been chronically elevated, like in the case of a type 3, because they worry a lot, everything stresses them out, their cortisol is jacked jack up. So when cortisol is always high for a long time, it builds insulin resistance. So a type 3, on one hand, they need the carbs to decrease cortisol. On the other hand, they don't tolerate carbs that well because they are more insulin resistant because of the chronic cortisol elevation. So that's why I like to use very frequent but very small carbohydrate feeding, like including between 10 and 20 grams of carbs six times a day. And, and gradually over time, we increase the size of the feedings until we, we, their, their body becomes better at tolerating those, those carbohydrates. So those frequent carbohydrate feeding will decrease cortisol level. And over time, that will actually help them become less insulin resistant. Of course, we will use protocols that will also help with insulin resistance, utilizing cinnamon, for example, or supplements that will increase insulin sensitivity, like berberine, uh, like, like the Indigo product by Biotest, uh, like fish oil, uh, alpha lipoic acid. All these products or those who go on the pharmaceutical route can use metformin. So all of these things will help fix insulin sensitivity but if you don't fix the cortisol issue, then that insulin resistance will always come back because chronic cortisol elevation itself leads to insulin resistance. So when you are trying to fix insulin resistance, you also must fix cortisol overproduction. Otherwise, it, 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 it's a stab in the dark. It won't work. Now, for the type 2s, Type 2s, especially type 2Bs, they, they, they respond the best when they have a more of a lower-carb approach, but with a high-carb intake around the workout, especially the type 2Bs. Type 2Bs are those who do the best on a more typical, traditional bodybuilding diet. So if they're dieting down, yes, it will be a caloric deficit, but carbohydrates will still be around 50% of your carbs intake. Around the workout will be the bulk of your carbs, and the rest will be from low glycemic carbs throughout the day. The type 2As, it really depends on, on uh, the training program they're on. If they're on a more of a bodybuilding program, the carbohydrates will be higher, more like a 2Bs. And if they are uh, on a strength program, performance-based program, the carbs will be lower. So it really depends on the person and the goal.
Man, that is it's it's funny that you say that because every time we talk about this stuff, like little light bulbs go off in my head about clients, but also about myself and you explaining the situation with the two A's and two B's. And that's kind of where I float. That's exactly how I set up my diet just naturally. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, because for example, me at two A, every diet works. I can do keto. I can do low carbs, high protein. I can, I can go high carbs. Well, high carbs, carbs higher than fat and high protein, uh, I can do intermittent fasting, everything works, but it works for like four weeks. And that's why I find that personally, I get my best results when I tailor my diet to my type of training. But that is not necessarily true for the other types who need a more of a, a typical traditional diet model that they will stick to. The, the type 1A and 1B can also do pretty much everything. Uh, because their body is really resilient to stress. There's one thing I believe. I honestly believe this, and I have zero study to prove it, okay? So, all, of course, all of those who are, uh, they, they require five or ten studies to, to believe something, then they, they, they might just turn the radio off right now or the computer off right now because what I'm going to say is absolutely not based in science. It's just a personal empirical observation that I've seen. Is I, I think... I always said that the, the mindset you have when you are eating have an impact on, on if you're gaining fat or not for the meal. So if you are stressed out, the same meal can get you a lot fatter than having that same meal when you're not stressed out. So, and I think that has to do with cortisol level. I think that the higher your cortisol level is when you are eating that meal, the more likely you are to store that meal as body fat. Now, again, I can't prove it. It's an instinct I have every time in my life where, for example, I was put in a situation where I was stressing out about a meal or I was stressed out, period. Well, I always gain fat a lot easier. For example, when I was preparing for my photo shoot uh, and I felt like okay, I need to cheat because I need to refuel, quote, unquote, and I would have like a few rice cakes, right? Woo. But I was low carbs and I was freaking out. Like, I'm, I'm going to get fat. I'm going to get fat. I'm going to retain water. And the next day, in fact, I would be, I would look a lot worse. Nowadays, I'm not stressed about what I'm eating at all. And I'm eating like 500 grams of carbs a day and I'm not changing on a daily basis. I don't have any negative impact from those high carb days. When I was younger, let's say my wife and I would go on uh, all inclusive vacation in a resort in the Dominican Republic, for example. Then, of course, I would go there, and of course, we have a buffet that is free, free because we paid for it with the, 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 the price of the actual vacation. I would just gorge myself on pastries and stuff like that. And on the afternoon, it's going to be burgers, and, and at night, it would be more burgers and more pastries. But I would actually get leaner over the course of the vacation. Uh, even though I was eating like crap. Same thing would happen when I was working a lot in Colorado. When I was going to biotest headquarters for uh, like a month or so. And the first week, I would actually eat really bad. I mean, Chris Sugar, who was there with us, can actually vouch for the fact that I was eating 12 hamburgers every single day. Then that was just for starters. And I would actually get a lot leaner on that first day. And I couldn't figure out why. It's because I went from working 60 hours a week as a PT on top of my teenage duty to 
doing only the teenation duty, basically like two hours of my day working. The rest was training and having fun. So just the fact I was decreasing my stress that much made me better at mobilizing or losing that fat. I can't explain what happened. Okay, I can't. But I'm pretty sure there's a correlation between cortisol level and how likely you are to gain fat from a meal. So, so that's an impact that it, to, in, to me is fairly interesting. So it also uh, validates, in my opinion, the fact that you need to decrease cortisol as much as possible if you want positive body composition changes. It makes sense too. I've actually heard a, I don't remember who it was. It was a gut health expert and he was talking about his hypothesis of post-training, you should have some kind of carbohydrate shake and like do some kind of breathing because he believes if you can get yourself into the parasympathetic mode, your gut is going to digest and absorb nutrients a little bit better in that meal following your workout. So that kind of goes hand in hand with what you were just saying and, and really kind Absolutely. of that. Uh, and even more than that, uh, I just, I just published an article on uh, if some people uh, can anybody train heavy all the time like you have those Bulgarian lifters they're maxing out every day and, and it seems to be uh, something that a lot of people are looking to get into I want to lift super heavy shit every single day I'm gonna uh, might not be whole body but they have to have like that one super heavy lift on a daily basis uh, but not everybody can do that here's the thing I mentioned earlier about that, that curve, right? The nervous system can either be activated, excited, amped up, or you can inhibit it, parasympathetic and sympathetic. Now, after the workout, when you're training, after the session has concluded, your nervous system is running on all cylinders, right? Because you just amped it up. And the heavier you lift, the heavier you lift or the more explosive you lift, the more excited your nervous system is. So after a heavy workout, your nervous system is firing on all cylinders. Now, when that nervous system is firing on all cylinders, two things happen. The first thing is, well, you are burning a lot more quote-unquote nervous energy. I mean, CNS fatigue is a real thing, but it's not what people think. CNS fatigue and symptoms of CNS fatigue are lack of motivation, mood swings, lethargy, lack of sex drive. You just overall feel like shit. That can happen after like a very heavy workout. You feel just drained mentally the next day. Well, that is either a dopamine depletion or adrenaline or dopamine resistance, like short-term adrenaline or dopamine resistance from an overstimulation of those receptors. Or it can be the dopamine depletion. Now, when you keep your nervous system amped up, after the session, right? When I'm keeping my nervous system amped up after the session, well, I'm keeping releasing adrenaline, I'm keeping releasing dopamine, so I'm keeping those receptors activated. That can lead to either a resistance of those receptors because, well, if they're getting overstimulated for eight hours, which is even worse if you're taking pre-workout stimulants, by the way, then, of course, they might become less responsive the next day. So that's why you're lazy. That's why you're unmotivated. That's why you feel like crap because you have a hard time activating your nervous system because the two neurotransmitters responsible for that, well, the receptors are becoming short-term resistant. Okay. Now, the other thing that happens is that you can deplete your dopamine, either directly, because if you keep your nervous system firing on all cylinders, 
Well, you either you are either using dopamine directly to speed that nervous system up, or you are using it indirectly to produce adrenaline. Adrenaline is being produced by dopamine. So if you're someone who has a lower level of dopamine and you are asked to keep the nervous system firing on all cylinders for several hours after the session, then you might deplete the dopamine and once again, symptoms of CNS fatigue. Okay. Now, the faster, the faster you can calm your brain down after the session, the faster you can prevent CNS fatigue. If I can shut down my, inhibit my nervous system, bring it back down to calm, rest and recover mode, parasympathetic mode after the workout, which is also the eat and digest system, by the way. That's why when I present, I don't eat because I, I, when I am in an eat and digest mode, I'm in parasympathetic mode. So I, it's hard for me to get activated and amped up. So the sooner you can calm your brain down, reduce your neuron firing speed after the session, the less CNS fatigue you're going to create because you don't keep that brain firing on all cylinders for two, three, four, six hours after the workout, which is mean a workout will be a lot less draining. The second impact that I mentioned earlier is, well, as long as you stay in that sympathetic mode, cortisol is being released. So the sooner you can bring yourself back down to the parasympathetic mode, the less cortisol overproduction you're going to have from the workout. So that is very important. Also, if you train in the afternoon and you keep your nervous system, your nervous system in sympathetic mode, you will have a hard time sleeping, which also impacts negative recovery and negative recovery. So, so some people naturally have the brain chemistry to calm themselves down after a workout. The type 1As and the 1Bs, they have a higher level of serotonin and GABA, which is why they're good under pressure. Well, these guys will easily calm their brain down. I mean, I was talking to a, another coach during a consult, and she was mentioning that after a heavy workout, she can easily take a nap 20 minutes after. That's a sign that she can very easily calm her brain down after an intense workout. Bulgarian lifters, when you look at their schedule, they will lift very, very heavy, often maxing out for 45 minutes. Then they're going to nap for 30 minutes. Then they're going to lift heavy again, and they're going to nap. Okay? Only the people who have the brain chemistry to calm their brain down as soon as the workout is over can do that. And these are the guys who can train heavy often from a neurological standpoint. Those who can't do that, those who keep the, their nervous system keeps firing on all cylinders for a few hours after the session, well, if they lift heavy too often, they're going to create CNS fatigue and also cortisol overproduction, which makes it a lot harder to gain. Why is chronic cortisol elevation a bad thing? Well, first of all, of course, it directly increase muscle breakdown, which is the opposite of what we want when we are repairing the muscle after a session. But also, chronic cortisol elevation will, will increase the, the myostatin gene activation. Myostatin, of course, is the gene that prevents you from building muscle. So the more active myostatin is, the less muscle you're going to build. And cortisol elevation directly increase myostatin activation, which is not a good thing. The last thing is that when cortisol is high, the, the immune system is impaired. So you are shutting down your, your, your immune system. And it makes sense because when you are fighting a tiger, your body will not 
concentrate on mobilizing energy to fight off a flu. You will kill the tiger, then we're going to fix the problems. So when cortisol is high, the immune system goes down. That's why a lot of high-level athletes get sick before, during, or after the Olympics or a big competition. Because cortisol is high, the immune system defenses are down. Now, when you're training and you're creating muscle damage, if the mechanism you are using to build muscle is muscle damage, because you have other mechanisms like the release of growth factors, an increase in lactate production, these things can also stimulate muscle growth even if you don't have muscle damage, mTOR activation, for example. But if you are utilizing muscle damage to stimulate hypertrophy, then the immune system is necessary because it will need to be activated because it will drive that repair process because it's an injury. So if cortisol is elevated for a long time after the workout, you are delaying that muscle repair process, which can also make it a lot harder to build muscle because protein synthesis will be more elevated about 24 hours after the workout. If you have not started building more muscle by that time, it's going to be a lot slower. You need to initiate the, because the first, when you create muscle damage, the first thing is to repair the damage. Once the damage is repaired, you will start adding up new muscle tissue. Well, if it takes you more than 24 hours to repair the damage, then when it's time to add more muscle, well, you're not in elevated protein synthesis in that muscle anymore. So it's going to be a lot longer to build more muscle. So the faster you can repair the damage, the more muscle you can build. That's why a, that's why a very efficient immune system is so important. So that's why having those carbs after a workout, as well as an amino acid like glycine, for example. Glycine, 5 to 10 grams after the workout, or magnesium glycinate, is a natural brain inhibitor. It calms your brain down. So think glycine, if you are someone who sticks is activated for too long after a workout, as well as magnesium, will help calm your nervous system down so you can lower cortisol after the workout and you can more easily start the repair process. And also it will decrease the chance of CNS fatigue. So I, I know that we're running close on time. If we have more time, I have two more things that kept coming up and I did want to ask you before, we, before I let you go. And that's cardio and then supplements based on your neurotype. And I feel like this could be either a really simple answer or a really complicated answer, but those two tend to- When's come- the last time I gave you a simple answer? <laughs> Never. <laughs> <laughs> so what would be the differences in those two as far as the neurotypes go? What do you mean? By the type of supplements and type of uh, and cardio. Yeah. Do you do you tend to like do certain people work better with uh, low intensity versus high intensity? Do yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. On nutrition okay. versus cardio when it comes to fat loss, things like that. Yeah. Let's yeah. say it's for fat loss. There's definitely a difference. Uh, the type three. The, the, let's start with the more obvious. The type three, the more introverted, uh, more anxious, overthinker, very pragmatic don't like to take risks, are very routine-based, don't like novelty. These guys do really, really, really good on steady-state cardio. Uh, Actually, sometimes they are the only type who can actually start their workout with cardio and not have a decrease in performance. If anything, sometimes it will improve performance because it decreases their anxiety putting them back in that optimal training zone. I've had a client, she was a type three. She would routinely do an hour of cardio before we train. 
and she did she deadlifted like 315 and she was 53 years of age and 123 pounds wow of course she was a freak yeah but uh she was not negatively affected at all by the cardio i don't recommend that the type 3 does an hour of cardio just before weight but of all the neurotypes they are those who will respond the best to that steady state type of cardio uh they can also do longer types intervals uh, so it would be like 60 seconds, 60 seconds, something like that. Um, when you go to the other end of the spectrum, the type 1A, the type 1A, it has to be short. They can't do long distance. They can't do low intensity. So it's either very short intervals, like 15 seconds intense, 30, 45 seconds relaxed. Uh, or it can be sprints. Uh, any, normally I like to use with these guys at one A's, the best approach is normally doing strongman work for fat loss. So if I'm working with a type one A and he wants to lose more fat, I normally will end the session with like 10 to 15 minutes of strongman work. It's not 10 to 15 minutes continuous. Of course, the ratio would be about 15 seconds work, 45 seconds rest, roughly maybe 60 seconds of rest, depending on cardiovascular conditioning so it's more of a loaded activity crawler pushing farmer's walk tire flipping sledgehammer striking stuff like that it has to be short and intense uh, if they do traditional more cardio quote unquote it's going to be more as i mentioned short intervals with, with the like 10 to 15 seconds really intense and then 45 seconds low intensity or even taking a rest completely uh, if you're talking about the 1B, the 1B are the best natural athlete, very naturally explosive. Uh, the best approach for them really is sprints. So sprints of normally 20 seconds or less. They can go up to 30 seconds, but normally no more than that because they don't want too much lactic acid accumulation. They don't deal well with lactic acid. So normally sprints of 100, 200 meters, 60 meters, it, it works really, really well. Same thing can be done with a prowler. So they can do prowler sprints for 10, 20 seconds, works really well. And you can do bike sprints, hill sprints, anything done with a lot of explosiveness works great for them. The one thing to avoid with both type 1, 1A, 1Bs, would be that steady state, long duration cardio. So it's more strongman stuff, sprinting. Uh, stuff like that. that. That works well for these types. Now, if we look at the type 2A, type 2A, anything works. Everything works. They can do everything, but the one thing that will kill them is repetitiveness. If they always do the same thing over and over and over again, it will actually make them pissed off, demotivated, and the performance will decrease. So what I like to do with them normally is on a daily basis, we change the type of energy the system work they're doing. On some days, it will be short intervals. On some days, strongman medley. On some days, might be uh, steady-state cardio when it's an off day, for example. Um, on some days, it might be long intervals. So it, it really varies as long as it's, it, it's different. They can do, even do CrossFit wads, like very short CrossFit wads lasting 10 to 12 minutes. It works really, really well for a type 2A. They need variation. They need excitement. It needs to be fun and fresh. When it stops to be fresh and fun, they lose motivation and they get worse results. The type 2Bs are, are very similar to the type 3 in that they can do very well on the steady-state cardio. They are the typical bodybuilding type, and lots of bodybuilders, even though it's less popular now because bodybuilders, it's, 
and that's a different topic, right? I think that bodybuilding is the only sport. Well, when I say bodybuilding, it's also physique, fitness, and stuff like that. It's the only sport in the world where athletes like to brag about being lazy. <laughs> right? you know, they will post a picture with, with ripped tabs. I didn't do a single minute of cardio during my prep. Or they show a picture of themselves ripped, eating like that's, that pizza. I'm two weeks out and I'm still cheating once a week. Right? You're bragging that you're getting there because you have genetics or you're taking drugs. That is indirectly what you're doing, right? And I'm bragging about not having to do work to get in shape. It's the only sport in the world where you do that. It's weird. <laughs> anyway, it used to be that doing fasted cardio, every bodybuilder did it. Every bodybuilder did it. And nowadays, it's actually making a comeback. It stopped being popular for a while. Now it's making a comeback. But most bodybuilders are type 2Bs. And for them, the, the, the fasted cardio or just cardio, steady state cardio works really well. It, it does work. But the one thing that works even better for type 2Bs, it's lactate work. Doing cardio or energy system work that creates lots of lactic acid. The type 2Bs thrive on lactic acid. They do the great work in lactic acid. Of course, when I say lactic acid, I really mean lactate and hydrogen ions. And the hydrogen ions are really what causes that burn feeling. But the type 2Bs are the best at tolerating that feeling and that lactic acid. And lactate itself is actually anabolic. So, so long intervals, like 30, 40 seconds intense, 30, 40 seconds rest, works really good. For type 2Bs, they can also do 400-meter uh, sprints. That also works well because it creates lots of lactic acid. can be prowler pushing or even farmer's walk. Anything that, that, that can be done for 40 seconds of work works great for fat loss for type 2B because they get that lactic acid release. They can, they can do steady state. And they get even better results from that lactic acid work. But when you're working with a bodybuilder, for example, there will come a point where that lactate work will be too demanding on their body. They will have to go back to their steady state cardio. For example, when you get down to 8% body fat, 7% body fat, your carbs are low, then it's going to be probably better to do that steady state cardio to keep burning calories and increasing fat burn because that lactate work will just be too stressful for your body. That's a perfect answer, man, and that's a. Great by the way, another, uh, another. By the way, another strategy. I forget to mention that uh, for a type three, type three body composition. Uh, one thing that also works really well, you can actually start the workout with like 20, 30 minutes of steady state cardio because it will not increase decrease their performance, and by reducing neural activation, might actually reduce their anxiety, and they're going to perform better. But one strategy I like to use is. The, the, the type 3 and the type 1A, they, they require longer rest intervals because both need to decrease adrenaline release but for different reasons. One thing that really works well with a type 3 is an active rest period. So they will do, let's say that the, the rest period between set is three minutes. Well, two of those will be done on like a like stationary bike or walking on, on a treadmill, or doing rower, something like that. Like lower intensity energy system works between sets. For a type 3, it works well. For everybody else, it doesn't, because it will negatively impact performance. But for a type 3, it does not have an, uh, that much of an impact. Now, if you're doing 15 sets in your workout, well, that's 30 minutes you just added, and you keep your metabolic rate running. So it's a great strategy for a type 3, it will actually decrease anxiety when you're lifting because you're not thinking about it as much, and it will actually increase performance. 
So that uh, that's a strategy I like to use with a type three. It's always so hard to keep you within about an hour, man. There's so much information. <laughs> I appreciate it so much. I know the people are going to have a lot of clarification on everything. I've been getting a ton of questions ever since we aired the last one. So once again, I really appreciate you being here. Cool. Sorry about like going off script for a while. I, I will blame the fasting and the ketones on my brain being uncontrollable right now. So even <laughs> I, I had to like calm myself down because I was starting to talk too fast. And I was sounding like a guy on crack. So <laughs> you sorry about that. And, and you know what? This is how I know we're one of the same uh, neurotypes because I have people who slow the uh, speed down when they listen to my podcast because during my Q&As, I, <laughs> I talk so fast because I get amped up. So I totally get it. Yeah. But it's even worse for me because English is my second language. So I'm not saying the right words from time to time. So it sounds really weird. But at least people understand what I'm saying. So that's a good thing. Yeah, I love it. Well, thanks again, brother, and we'll have to do it again sometime. Anytime, man. All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the All-Inclusive Guide to Mastering Your Diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book, not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. The next thing is going to be Functional Muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does, and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum. That is the only way into the forum, and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything, and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes chart. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spend a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.